Welcome to Saturday Strategy, the business show for the small and mighty. This is your host, Johnny Themans. Hi, welcome, and thanks for joining us for this edition of Saturday Strategy, the original podcast for business owners who want to cut the crap and get the answers. I'm Johnny, and I'm your host, and today we're going to be taking a uh, a reflective look at entrepreneurial success by interviewing um, a guy called Richard North, who's a a local um, entrepreneur here in Shropshire, and he's got a great story to tell, and he's a very generous guy who wants to help us and you uh, to uh, to also achieve great things as well. So I'm not going to give too much away about that. He's, he's, he shares a lot of information. It's really good. So today we're joined by Richard North. Richard's got an interesting background and one, runs a really cool business called Wow Stuff. If you like toys, then you'd love Wow Stuff. And uh, Richard's um, a bit of a quiet um, celebrity. He's, he's been on TV, Secret Millionaire, and um, and believes in doing good and helping people along the way. Um, their business is, is incredible. They've, they've got 60 people, so they're a relatively tight team, but they trade with some of the world's largest brands um, like Marvel, Peppa Pig, Harry Potter. Um, they've got a global bestseller. They trade in over 30 countries um, around the world. And it's in in 2006 is when they started so they are actually 15 years old as we record this in april uh 2021 so uh we should probably start it off by saying happy birthday to wow stuff um richard thanks very much for joining us here on saturday strategy thanks for having me thank you richard i'm i'm really pleased that you've joined us we want to be doing this um series about uh, about entrepreneurial success and and i think you know i can see i can almost see your eyes because we're you know looking at you on a screen here going oh god am i really um you know it's nice modesty is a good thing but actually you know you have achieved some amazing successes as a business and uh, and you know you've been at the helm through that and i'm sure you've learned a lot of things um along along the way and i think one of the problems that i see with startups and stuff is they look at success stories and think that's what I want to be like and they look at the end results but they don't actually look and try and imagine what perhaps where stuff looked like in the early formative days when it was a struggling startup and really trying to sort of form itself and understand itself and get going and find some traction so I thought well tell us a bit about where stuff and what you're up to today uh, and then maybe we can rewind and see how it all started um well um we started off 15 years ago as you say 2006 April and we were actually a gift company when we began this business. Um, gifts being somewhat different to toys. Gifts, uh, slightly lower price points, pick-up items sourced out of Asia. So we were having um, trips over to Hong Kong and the trade shows, um, seeing these products on display and importing them. Mm. And sometimes we were adding a licensed brand. And after about five or six years of doing that, the business was growing very fast. We were a Virgin Fast Track 100 company, so we were acknowledged as a very fast-growing British-based business. Um, and I remember thinking, well, what, what is the ceiling to this business? You know, where, you know, or, or how far could it go? Yeah, and I mean, when you say about gifts, they, were, they weren't serious gifts, were they? These were, these were sort of fun gifts. Yeah, novelty gifts. Novelty gifts, okay, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, we, uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, quite quite um, a disparate range of product. Okay, I think there was a towel, wasn't there? It was quite famous with sort of what did it have button face written on different ends of it for. Uh... Yeah, that was that was actually our first product, and that's how the business oh, started. 
so I'd um, I'd sold a company and I was looking for something to do. And I, I was on a visit to the Harrogate gift fair, kind of, um, you know, um, looking around, thinking what could inspire me. And I bumped into a couple of guys who looked almost like they were homeless. They were ripped, ripped jeans and T-shirts before that became fashionable. And they had a, a pasting table that was um, piled high with the product they were selling, which was a towel. And in the um, in the context of the show, they really stood out like a sore thumb because everything else was very pretty and uh, and, and and very nice um, vases at, at hundred pounds a piece. And then they're selling these towels for for about ten pounds. Half of the towel was white, so if you can imagine the towel laid out in front of you, and and half of it to the left was completely white, and it had embroidered um, on the white bit the word face. And then on the right-hand side, it was all brown and it had the word arse uh, and it became known as the arse face towel. And it was a novelty product. And I asked them how many they'd sold. They said a couple of thousand. I thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, a couple of thousand at this fair. Then they explained that was in the entire time they'd had their business going, which was three years. So, uh, you know, I could see they weren't doing so well. But I, I like the guys. Uh, we got on really well, loved their personalities. Uh, they were scientists, it turned out. So um, they couldn't have looked less like scientists had they tried. But they were scientists, very smart guys, lots of product ideas. And we put that product into, into mass production. And I used um, some contacts I had. And we ended up selling a few million pieces of that towel. And it became almost infamous. Matthew McConaughey, the Hollywood actor, even starred in a, um, a film called Made in China in a, ca a cameo role. And that was based upon my co-founder who, who created that towel. Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, anyway, I, I think there is a, uh, that's one of the more unusual startup stories, yeah. isn't it? So, so Richard, you know, I, I was sort of giving it, you know, giving an allusion to uh, alluding to the sort of successes you've had. You've, you've won a lot of awards along the way and stuff, haven't you? And, uh, and achieved a lot and you've got an amazing team around you. I think now, I guess it hasn't always been a sort of just a linear growth story, has it? How can you rewind and maybe around that sort of startup period, you know, how, how that journey has gone a little bit, maybe, maybe think about if you were talking to the young Richard, how would you be sort of coaching him right now? Well, I think, um, the young Richard would have been um, like so many uh, um, entrepreneurs or, or people starting a business. Um, I think the good, the good thing is quite often you don't know where the ceilings or the walls are. So that gives you great hope and, and great, great excitement and enthusiasm. And I certainly had bags of that, but I didn't have experience because I was young. When I started my first company, I was 25 or 26 um, but sometimes that's a nice thing, not knowing what you don't know and, and not knowing where those brick walls are. And then you challenge norms that other people might look at and say to you, well, you can't do that. That won't work. And this won't work. And certainly as you get older and wiser, wiser in inverted commas, sometimes you, you stop taking some of the chances, the risks, or be them educated. You stop taking those because you think, well, I've seen other businesses try that and it didn't work. When you're new and you're fresh to something, you've not seen any of that and you go for it. And that can sometimes create absolute magic. And I think I, I was lucky in that sense. So the, the, the enthusiasm was there, but no, I, I had none, none of the, um, the things I have now, none of the resources, uh, none of the finance, none of the people. 
Um, so you start off in a new business with pretty much just yourself and your idea. And it's how you draw everything into that, how you, how you build that jigsaw puzzle. Mm. What bits do you need? And I, I had um, an early mentor. He had his own company and gave me some good words of advice. Um, so I worked for his business. It was about £40 million turnover business. He set it up with a business partner. He, he asked me one day, what would I want to be doing in 10, 15 years? And I said, I'd like my own company. And he said, okay, piece of advice. If you're a good salesman, make sure you get, get a great financial person alongside you. If you're a great marketeer, make sure you've got a great salesman or then a, a good finance person, but basically get people with complementary skills. So that was a, a good early piece of advice. Um, and he also said to me that he was 46 when he started his company. And so I, I still look at look back at that now and think to myself, you know, that's a good, that's in itself a piece of wisdom. You don't have to be 20, 25, 30 to start your first company. Uh, he was 46 and went on to be obviously extremely successful. Uh, they sold the company for a lot of money um, many years later. And he had a very nice retirement um, and went into investing in different things and other people's companies. You know, so... Um, so yeah, a couple of very nice pieces of advice early on in my career. And then when I was 20, 25, 26, I looked to leave that company with and, and move into the industry that I knew. And I think that's um, a piece of advice I'd pass on. If you've had a few years experience in a particular industry, you'll have got contacts, you'll have a network, you'll have experience of the industry. You know, sometimes I get people applying for jobs with me and they come from a completely different industry. And I ask them, why do they want to move industries? They might have been working in a, a, an organization for five, 10 years, built up masses of contacts, loads of industry experience. And they, they say, well, I, I think I'd like to experience what the toy industry is like. And for me, that's a little bit of a no-no. You know, you're throwing away that wealth, that knowledge and trying to start almost from scratch again. Mm. So when I set up at 25, 26, I was selling binoculars, telescopes, rifle scopes. I was a, a champion target shooter. So I knew that part of the, of the sports targets and shooting market well. And so I took all that experience and then used it to my advantage and my leverage. I also, uh, another piece of advice I would give anybody is um, whether they're customers um, or their people you meet through business, keep those contacts close um, and be, be kind, be nice to, to those sort of uh, people. You'll need them. Yeah, we, I, I, th I think people make that mistake very often. They, they've got a great black book when they leave a job. And then, then they sort of take a break and they think, oh, you know, my, my currency is really high in that industry. And I think they don't realize how quickly that currency runs down. So you've got to You've got to just make sure as soon as you get started to nurture those those contacts, haven't you? And uh, put yourself well, out there. I'd agree with that totally, Johnny. I I um I remember feeling quite anxious when I left my business and feeling that I was almost getting left behind within the first few weeks or months of trying to start my company. I was eager to get going. For that reason, I thought, you know, how hot are these contacts and these leads? Are they going, go, going from hot to warm to cold? 
is that going to be the path that they now go go down or that I go down? So I was very, very keen to get going. And so using those contacts, one of my customers or two of my customers, I was lucky enough to have uh, offer me financial backing to get going. So I'd clearly looked after them well enough um, for them to want to invest in me. And so I chose one of them and and got underway. They put some, some well, they, they, they actually... Um, what I brought to it was knowledge of the market I was going into, uh, a customer base, people I'd looked after before had bought products from me, so they trusted me, and a main idea, what my business was going to be, uh, so a focused idea. So my backer saw all of this and knew that what I now needed was some finance, and he offered to put in £100,000 for 50% of this um, pre-revenue business, this mm-hmm. startup company. And he said to me three years later when I bought him out, um, he said what the, the £100,000 that he'd put aside to put in, he'd actually never needed to use. We'd been so smart and entrepreneurial. We'd, uh, some people call it OPM, other people's money. Um, we were very lucky that the supplier, the main supplier for our product range gave us 120 days credit terms. So we were able to turn the stock over before we had to pay for it. Mm. So we became cash flow generative um, very, very quickly from day one, really. Yeah. So that, that was, um, again, using guile and entrepreneurial yeah. instincts. And I guess that guy, he wasn't really investing 100 grand into your business, was it? He was investing in you. Well, I, I think, you know, if you, if, you, if you talk to investors generally, um, you know, all the smart investors would always seem to say the same thing, you know, and there's a joke in the venture capital world as well. They invest in three things, people, people, and people. (laughs) The irony of it, but uh, it's true. And, you know, I'm the same in my own business when I'm employing people, I'm investing in those people. So I take that very, very seriously. And, you know, an incident that happened a few years ago made me really, reevaluate that when the business wasn't doing so well, the current business. Um, we'd taken on um, quite a lot of investment money, many millions of pounds, and we'd hired some very, very good high caliber candidates to fill roles, to expand the business. They were excellent people. Um, they, were, they, were, they were good people. Um, good, you know, they, they weren't crooks, but their skill sets, which were similar to what we wanted, operations directors. Um, uh, We wanted a a CEO so I could concentrate on the marketing side. But they hadn't got industry experience. So it goes back to what I was saying before. You know, if you can um, stick in an industry and build up a wealth of experience and contacts, that that knowledge is is valuable. Mm. You know, they say knowledge is power. It's also extremely valuable. So I learned that lesson, you know, to... Um, try and make sure that you've got people who are either incredibly adaptable to go across into your industry. And that's rare, um, but, but, but happens. You just have to you know, spend a lot of time trying to find that person or, or look for people who've, who are in the industry and can bring that value with them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But, one, yeah. Of the things that, one of the things I find, and I, I say to people quite a lot, you know, reinventing yourself continuously is exhausting as well, isn't it? So, so actually just, you know, being able to take one thing that you're good at and then improve it and improve it and carry on down that same path is, is much, much more energy efficient, isn't it? 
it is energy efficient. You know, entrepreneurs get get um, cold feet, don't they, quickly? I, I know I often did. You'd get something going and you'd get very restless. You know, four or five years into it, you'd think, well, this isn't growing either fast enough or it's not um, exciting anymore because the excitement was in the startup phase, was in the, the adrenaline rush of um, juggling so many balls in the air at the same time. Mm. And then once that becomes a stable business, you become restless. And I suppose the secret is, you know, as you know, very famous entrepreneurs such as Richard Branson have shown us, what they will do is they will make sure that whoever then looks after that business frees them up to be able to go and set up another business or invest in something else. Yeah, I think Richard Branson once said one of the secrets to success of uh, Virgin was they learned very early on how to fail quick and fail cheap. Yeah, I think Facebook said something as well similar, didn't they? You know, move fast and break things. And and it, it's true, you're going to have so many disasters. I think it was another point I'd made on, on one of the LinkedIn posts that um, you're, go- you're going to be faced with all sorts of terrible scenarios that where you feel your businesses cannot survive or you know something dreadful has happened um you, you feel it's like the the end of your world um they, these you have to grow a thick skin and you have to think outside the box um i often use the phrase there's more more than one way to skin a cat a famous phrase because the amount of times that we felt we've come up against a brick wall and so, again, it's probably cliched a little bit here again, but you know, we've got to find a way to go over it, go under it, go around it, or go through it. And you will find a way. You know, and it's amazing how many times I bounce um, problems off my co-directors or, or people within the business, and they'll come up with a solution. Or, or vice versa, they'll throw something at me. And, you know, whether it's because of, years of doing this and, and therefore wisdom or just being creative you come up with a solution to a problem and you think my goodness me that's just solved it and you and, and just a few moments before weeks before months before you've been fretting over it and thinking there's no way around it there's always a way there's always a way to solve these problems i, I remember you know i'm not an admirer of donald trump but i remember reading his book well before he became president and uh, you know, he was the master of always looking for a way to solve a problem when he had billions in debt. Mm. You know, he was, I think he was $1.1 billion in debt at one point with, you know, the banks were foreclosing on him. He felt that he got no way out. And he, if I remember the story correctly, with his wife walking down the street and he passed a, a tramp, a homeless person on the street begging for money. And he, tur- he turned to his wife and said, that that be- that beggar has got 1.1 billion dollars more money than I've got uh, because that's how much debt he was in. He then he'd made this effort to go out. I think it was that night to a black tie do. He didn't want to go. It, he was vilified by everybody. Oops. My phone's going. He was hated by everybody, and uh, he ended up sitting on a table next to. Um, People he didn't know got got chatting with them. Got got on extremely well with the one guy, who who when he finally asked him who he was, um, and then realised, you know, you're Donald Trump. You owe me five hundred million dollars, my bank, and I'm the bank manager that's foreclosing on you. 
And because they got on so well, they were able to then sort things out, became friends and solve the deal. Now, being Donald Trump, you don't know if that's correct. I should, I should put a caveat in there. But, the, but, but I suppose whether it's true or not, that kind of stuff does happen. Yeah. You know, so there's always a way out. There's always another way to skin the cat. Yeah, yeah. We don't know the answer. Just add the word yet, isn't it? And, uh, and it's actually quite empowering. Yeah, yeah. So, Richard, tell me, um, tell me where you are kind of, well, you were t- you're talking about some of the sort of the challenges and stuff like that, you know. So, you know, from from darkest moments to biggest highs, how do you how do you kind of stay on? Did you always have a vision? Um, I was always enthusiastic and passionate about uh, business generally. So when I was 19 and at school, leaving sixth form, not having worked hard for my A levels, so I knew I hadn't passed them, not knowing what I was going to do, and my mum was pushing me to get a job. I walked into a local company in Wolverhampton where I lived and um, asked them if they'd got any jobs available. They asked me what my qualifications were, which were pretty hopeless, but told them that I was a champion shooter. And this company was was called Barnett International, uh, the originators of the modern day commercial crossbow, um, sold as a recreational product very much in those days, going back 30 odd years, of course. And um, they gave me a job. Um, I then saw the owner of the company, Bernard, Bernard Barnett, very charismatic, brilliant businessman, great ideas person, uh, very inspirational. Uh, he picked me up in his Bentley one day on the way into work. I'd got off the bus. Uh, it was a snowy, sludgy, horrible day. Um, my suit, cheap suit, were, uh, the, the trouser bottoms were, were covered in dirt and slush and mud. And I'd he pulled over and he said, I think you work for me, don't you? Jump in, I'll give you a lift. So I, got, I remember looking down at his lamb's wool carpet uh, of, of, of his Bentley and seeing all the black sludge of my trouser bottoms all dripping onto his carpet and thinking, he's going to fire me after this. He's going to see the mess I've made of his carpets. But but far from it, you know, he, he was brilliant. He, he wanted me to stay, but after a year... Um, of being inspired by him and his wealth and seeing, you know, that, that, that side to what you could be as a successful businessman. Um, I took a job as a sales rep, then I became a, um, got into marketing. I, I realized what marketing was. So because I've got no university degree in it, I decided to buy every book I could to do specifically with advertising within marketing. So I learned the ropes there. And that stood me in good stead because I was given a very small division of the group of companies that I worked for uh, at that time and asked if I could have a go at turning it around. And I was 22, 23. I'd had three years of being a successful salesman. I was totally out of my depth. And I got all these books that I'd been reading copiously. And I thought, I kind of fancy a go, but I was very scared. And I remember the boss said to me, look, if it doesn't work out, we'll give you, give you your old job back. So I had that safety net. That feeling, you know, that's a, that was great. And so I went for it and I built this small business into a decent size. It wasn't huge. 30 years ago, it was about £5 million business I built it into, but from scratch, really, um, with a very small team that they they gave me. And, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And when I went to leave that business at 25, 26 to set up my own, I remember phoning my customers up, telling them I was going to leave. And they said, you must be mad. A lot of them said this, you must be mad. I had some that, that, that were fantastic, said, you know, go for it. Yeah, you know, become an entrepreneur, great. But, but a lot of them said, 
but this brand, what are we going to do without you? And, and this brand is fantastic. And so they're partly worried that it might not be as successful and they relied on that success. And then, and, and then part of them also thought I was stupid for, for leaving behind such a great opportunity. And I, I, my, my boss said, look, um, when I was leaving, we can make you redundant, um, which was good, good of him. Um, I didn't have my new business idea firmly fleshed out. I just knew I wanted a business. And, um, and I had got an offer with the company that I come or a company I'd come into contact with that fell through. Somebody kind of stabbed me in the back. You know, this is kind of the ups and downs you're referring to. Um, so I got let down badly. So I'm sitting there redundant with a mortgage to pay. And I st stupidly took my redundancy money and helped somebody who um, needed some help without thinking that I also would need that money. So then I had no safety net all of a sudden. And I thought, my goodness me, now I really do need to play catch up. And that's when I got on the phone, um, called all my old customers, and two of them made, made an offer for, to set me up. And then, it, again, it, it wasn't plain sailing. So, you, you, you know, you start with knowledge from that previous industry, but you're still 25, 26. There's still loads to learn. You haven't got a lot of resources. You've got to make a pound go as far as everybody else makes 10 pounds go, as it were. Um, I downscaled on my, my, you know, I was always used to a nice company car, a nice regular salary plus bonuses. So my salary was halved, um, no company car. Um, we had, we actually, I actually did use one of the rental vehicles. Um, it felt like coming down and, and that was a blow to the ego. I, I hadn't realized what an ego had got until that happened. Mm. Hang on. I, when I turn into my driveway, I've got my nice brand, you know, brand new Golf GTI, or I think it was a Renault 19 16 valve then as well as my second one. I always had the top hot, hot hatch, um, you know, each year as a new company car. And now I'd got this sort of rental, little rental van. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that made me reflect. Um, and then, yeah, so we set off on a journey of building a business that, Seven years into it, uh, I sold that company and did okay. And I bought along the way a famous uh, gun business, a shooting sports business called Webley and Scott. Uh, you know, it goes back to 1792, if I remember. Um, so I was, I was lucky enough to be able to acquire that business. Um, but, but sold that and I set up an internet business, uh, one of the very first e-commerce businesses in 1998 going into 99. Are you, I bet you have you still got pictures of that website? Um, I will have somewhere. I've got I've got the brochures that we used to we used to send have out you? millions of brochures to drive people to the website. Um, it was called boysstuff.co.uk. Okay. It still exists, I think, but it's not not at all like it was. Um, but yeah, we used to send out loads and loads of brochures and drive, and we sell big boys toys. So it's kind of almost the first first time I got into sort of toys but this was big boys toys um lazy boy armchairs uh punch bags um well all sorts of weird wonderful gifts and gadgets we, we were like the gadget shop but online i don't know whether you remember the gadget shop yeah, it's yeah. a fast growing chain of, of retail of retail business um yeah so but but again you know i i, I took on some investment from some business from some business angels um probably less said about them the better because they're, they're kind of funny guys but um 
we we built or rather we spent the money on an e-commerce platform builder so a company that said we can build you uh your sort of equipment of amazon amazon had only been going a few years at that time three or four years in america e-commerce was fairly new in the uk these guys put themselves out as being a, an e-commerce professional company but of course in those days nobody was an e-commerce uh, platform builder um, it was all new so they we learned at our expense and they learned at our expense they learned how to build a platform so after three or four years of it not not being where we wanted it 2001 i think it was 2002 i brought in a chief technical officer a very smart guy and we built our own e-commerce platform which was very successful uh, very advanced for the time it won many awards and we ended up selling that platform separately to the main business wow. uh, so, so again all, all the time you know you you, you hit obstacles and you've just got to figure out how to deal with them, get over them. Yeah. Um, because you are, as an, entre- an entrepreneur's life is absolutely about dealing with, with problems or challenges. As, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs like to see them as challenges, not problems. So you put a positive spin on everything you possibly can mm. uh, without trying to be an eternal optimist because that can also lead you uh, to losing a lot of money if you always think everything's going to work. Um, but being a sort of a realistic yeah. Okay, okay. So, Richard, let's let's take a. We're gonna we're kind of got a couple of minutes left. Let's let's just take a little sort of um, wild leap of fantasy here. And you know, wow, stuff's just collapsed. It's gone. You've lost everything. Um, the the bank manager's come and taking you home. You're destitute, and you've got you've got maybe a few hundred quid left, and you've got to start all over again. Where which is kind of. People are starting with, from from scratch. How do you how do you get started? Now you know what you know. Yeah. Um, wow. That's I've never been asked that question before, and um, so it filled me with horror at first. And then I thought, well, yeah, I think if I look back at how I started, it was I think through being showing that you're hardworking, you've got integrity, um, you've got creativity and passion, you've got to show different people who are going to become your stakeholders, what you are, and that they can believe in you. And with that, you can make money go a long way. And you can use, if I, if, if I use that phrase again, other people's money to help and support you. Of course, you're not using other people's money in, in the sense of them, them not getting anything back in return. You know, you've got, it's got to be equitable. So if you're using other people's money, you've got to expect to give them a decent return on that. You know, so... I think that's what, you know, when I started off, um, that that original backer made good money on his investment, you know, which he didn't have to put in the 100,000. Um, and then subsequently, not everything has always worked out for sure. Sometimes I've lost a lot of money. Sometimes my partner has lost a lot of money. But on the whole, over the long term, we've made money. Mm. Uh, and I think, so it's using guile, charm, passion, integrity, all of those things, so that you can leverage that, leverage what appears to be nothing in assets is you. goes back to people. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. So I think the most important thing in a business is the owner, isn't it? That's and that because with if the owner fails, the business fails. And if the owner succeeds, then perhaps the business might succeed. And you know, the owner sometimes fails because they didn't then hire the right people. Yeah. So then it goes on to the people, people, people. Thank you, yeah. Richard. This has been really enlightening. I've loved listening to that story. I think I think there's so much. I can, I'm, 
you know, picking this apart and just all the little bits of, um, you know, we never think of ourselves as a wise person, but actually just telling the story of, you know, how you've, how you've gone along there, I think has been hugely helpful. And, uh, and I'm sure sort of people listening to this will be uh, very grateful for you uh, spending time with us today. So thanks very much for doing that. How do people take a look at WOW stuff? I think people might want to just check out your website and stuff. Yeah, we've got, we've got a website, wowstuff.com. Um, so you can see what we do uh, and peruse, peruse that if you like. Um, our products are available on, in, in a lot of retailers uh, in the UK and around the world. Um, so, you, you know, Harry Potter and, and Peppa Pig, as you mentioned earlier on. Um, and you can, you know, if you want to reach out to me, you can contact me through, through the website. There's a contact us section there. Um, yeah. So please, yeah. And thank you very, very much for having me on the show. No, it's, it's been brilliant, Richard. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. So that is it for this edition of Saturday Strategy. Thanks so much for sticking with us to the end. And thank you, Richard, for sharing sharing that wonderful story and that 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 that, that great insight for us. Um, if you've got any feedback, do reach out to Richard. Um, or if you want to speak to me, uh, drop me a line on WhatsApp using 07977437360. And that's my personal mobile number, so you'll definitely get through. Thanks again. Until next time. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to hear more, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts.